really showcased to me a level of brotherhood um, that provided me space to ask my questions. Um, and I think that I want to replicate today for the people um, that experience, right? So, you know, you come with amazing pedigree, right? Born and bred and me, right? Um, the 93rd consecrated and elected. 96. 96, excuse me. Yep. Consecrated yep. and elected bishop. Uh, bishop Philip R. Cousin Sr. is your father and supervisor uh, a cousin. And then you um, got your pastoring, got your pastoring chops. Uh, was it North Carolina? Yeah. North oh, yeah. Carolina. And then all up. Up until what is that? Was that the first and the second that you were in, or were you in the second mainly? In the second mainly, in the second only. In the second until only. I came, until I came to the fifth. I you was came out here second. to the fifth, the fifth, which comprises of all the um, the western states. And so you've been pastoring at um, St. Andrews for what five years now? Four. Believe it or not, I'm 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 in the seventh year. Seventh year? Wow. Okay. Okay. And so part of the reason why I wanted you here, outside of the fact that you are a pastor, and I think you can help me out as a new pastor, right, with some wisdom, um, is that you also are like me. You're engaged civically. Um, and so you kind of know, you pay attention to what's going on. I don't know who they said it was. I think it was um, Spurgeon who said that the preacher ought to spend time in both with the, both the newspaper and the Bible. Right. Thanks, <laughs> said that. And so um, I think that we'll be able to kind of engage in conversation, really free flowing yeah. for the folks here. So what, what you know, what is like popping right now in our society right now that's happening in our country outside of COVID? And I shouldn't say because we're not going to it's not that, not that we're going to not discuss COVID. But what are your thoughts on Joe Manchin right now? Like, you know, so is this a surprise? Is this? No, but no. Okay. Mansion right now is simply the, the, the flavor of the day. And all, all of it, unfortunately, has taken precedence over what is the real issue that America will not address. And that, of course, being the issue of voter rights and what is happening in, in, legis uh, in, in legislatures all across this country in different states. Uh, as, as Republicans gerrymander, I tell you why Joe Manchin is no surprise. I uh, I cannot be surprised by these antics coming from a Democrat elected from a red state. Facts, pure facts. So what he is doing, what he is doing, is in the name of self-preservation, and that there's no way that he can justify um, stonewalling a program that is going to help every American, and especially the West Virginia, extremely depressed state of West Virginia. I think that that's what it is for me, Phil, is that like, you know, both of us are coming from, you're coming exactly from the East. I'm from the Midwest. We both understand what's in West Virginia, right? You know, just like they said about Christ, can anything good come, come out of Nazareth? I think we got to ask the question, can anything good come out of West Virginia? Um, now, of course, the answer to Christ was yes, but you know, how could somebody there in that space, understanding the predicament of the people in that state, one of the poorest states in our nation, yes, right? In some sense, vote against the interest of the people. He's doing it 
for us is, is purely the name of, of self-preservation. Much of what uh, the Build Better Back plan contains is moving America forward and looking at new ways to produce energy in this country. And look at how heavily vested in coal mining Joe Manchin is personally. Facts, facts. He's personally heavily vested in it. And so so to me, that, that his, his position, uh, the, the way that the Democratic Party uh, tries to uh, coddled him is ridiculous. Yeah, and I guess, you know, I think that's part of the issues with, you know, and I, guess, I think what I'm wrestling with in this whole conversation is that they, they were able to engage in, they were able to find a way to engage in debt ceiling conversation. But, and breaking the filibuster, filibuster in, order, in order to get there, right? But we can't do that for voting rights. And won't. And won't. That that's the that's that's the invisible Jim Crow line in this in this country, and and when you look now at what is 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 truly center stage in American politics, is the same issue that brought on that little dispute of of eighteen sixty, that being states' rights. Right. Ultimately, that is what it comes down to. Uh, the, of course. With the Civil War, the, the, the main bone of contention was uh, the emancipation of the enslaved. I will not speak of it as slavery Good. because that, that, that does something in my mind to uh, almost justify the institution. No, this was the forceful enslavement of people. But, but ultimately, that battle played along the lines of states' rights. Uh, pre-Civil War, post-Civil War, during Reconstruction, during Jim Crow era, all of that, states' rights. And now we're right back to states' rights. It feels, you're right, it feels like we're, we're back at the same spot. So that makes me ask you this question. So what is our role, right? Because I feel like that is a major piece of this, right? Is that, you know, I mean, here's, here's I guess, the truth. For anybody out there who doesn't know, um, just in October, um, I was given my first appointment. Uh, Phil, how many appointments have you had? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> 40, 46 or 47, I forget. So um, in, in, our, in our religious tradition, um, every year uh, we are given um, a, a new appointment, right? And so uh, Phil has been doing this for quite a while, but I got I my... Will, I will say it this way, Robert. Every year you will be given an appointment, a reappointment, or a disappointment. Wow. <laughs> so I will be clear. I'm not going to act like I didn't. I've never heard that. I'm not going to act like that's the first time I heard it. But I do think for the people who have not had the privilege of sitting in your class, how about you explain that? Well, every, every year you are subject to assignment by the bishop. And so that means that every year you will either receive an appointment or you'll be reappointed or you will find yourself some of those years to be disappointed with regard to what you feel you deserve and what the bishop has to give you. Amen. amen. Sometimes in life, one's opinion of oneself does not always correspond <laughs> to the, with the opinion of those around you. That makes perfect sense. I mean, so why not not think more highly of themselves than they ought to? Amen. Read Paul's letter to the Romans. <laughs> the entire one. <laughs> the entire, the entire letter. Good point. Good point. But you'll find that lovely little portion somewhere in chapter 12. Mm -hmm. 
where it begins, I'll be seeing you. But okay, so with that in mind, with that in mind, um, what is the role of the church um, and us as preachers, right, in engaging what's happening right now in our society? Let's go ahead and just be more specific. With Joe Manchin, how do how do we engage in the conversation with the Democrats? Take the, yeah, because the Republicans are not listening to us. They don't care whether or not we speak. They don't care what we say at the end of the day. I think they've shown that, right? Um, and that's and I mean, I'm sorry to be super political, but you know who I am. I'm going to call it out as it is, right? They, they ignore our voice, right? Um, so now with the party that we literally put in power, right? Because unless I'm mixed up, it was the women in South Carolina who changed the trajectory of this race, correct? They did. They did. <laughs> Uh, so how do we now, like, what is our role in engaging in this conversation about the policies that affect our communities, right? So Build Back Better would have an impact on our communities, right? Um, because the infrastructure, we don't know if we're going to ever feel any piece of that, right? Um, you would think we would, but let's be honest about it, right? The way it's geared is going to hit the corporations first, right? It will, yeah, but, but it, will, it, will, it will create so many jobs. And it will create jobs in new industry sectors. You think you're talking about BBB, or are you talking about the infrastructure? Yeah. Speaking of the, the 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 whole build better, build back better, okay. and and the, the infrastructure, the infrastructure uh, portion of that will will create will create jobs. Now whether we whether we are the ones that, that get those jobs, and that is and that is what we need to the role of the church to to answer your question is to be that voice of prophetic utterance and understand what it truly means to be a prophet. We've done a, a poor job with defining uh, what it means to be prophetic in and out of the church. When we hear prophecy, we think somebody foretelling the future. And that's really isn't that that's not the primary responsibility of a prophet. That wasn't Amos. No, the, 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 what, a, what a prophet does is a prophet says things without regard as to their popularity and without concern for personal safety. You know, a prophet says unpopular things to popular people. A prophet will stand before people in power and speak truth to that power. Mm -hmm. And that's how John the baptizer wound up losing his head. You know, people who think the Bible is dull ought to read it and then read between the lines of it and understand that when John the baptizer called Herod out, Herod at that time had married his brother's widow, which made his niece his stepdaughter, who did a dance for him, a lap dance at a birthday party. And, and listening to her mother, asked her uncle, now stepdaddy, to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. That, that, that's all, you know, I mean, that, that's, that to me, is what it means to be a prophetic voice, and, and and say that in church, preach that in church. Don't let people think that oh, this is, you know, this this is not some story of holy of holy piety. Uh, John was saying unpopular things about Herod, and went and told him to his face. Facts. And Herod said, he, he said, Herod, he said, Herod, you know, you're not living right. And Herod said, you, John, are going to prison. Boom. That was it. That was the transaction. And and you know, it, it's. It is it's not just that Jehoshaphat and, and Ahab doing Micaiah son of Imla. What did Micaiah say? Micaiah was a prophet, but he didn't he didn't prophesy until he said this that which the Lord bids me to speak, will I speak? Yeah. And then, yeah, you can go on and fight the Philistines. 
nigga, I'm with you. And they threw him right back in jail. Well, the church has to be that same kind of prophetic voice. And keep before this nation it, its shame. Mm. Critical race theory, mm-hmm. which, which, which had its moment. Mm-hmm. And then after its news cycle, it petered out. It's still there. Right. And, and, and there's, there's no such thing as critical race theory. Not really. Critical race theory is truth. Yeah, but that's and the problem, though, right? I mean, I'm sorry, I got to stop you. But, like, is that not the issue? I feel like that's at the heart of it, is yeah. that what's true is no longer true. It's, it's, it's a gray area now. Or it's up for interpretation. Well, you know, well, well, you know, history, unfortunately, is written by the conquerors. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and so and so, anything that runs contra to what is the, the theme, mm-hmm. the motif that people want pushed and promoted is, is what gets sidelined. So it becomes it becomes theory. No, truth is not theory. Truth is truth. Truth cannot be anything else but truth. That's right. That's right. And so, and 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 so that the role of the church is is to to lift these and keep these before people who, who get you know we're so accustomed to being tossed a few scraps by people who largely will come and visit us, kiss our babies, when it's election time, kiss our babies, take yeah. good photos, keep 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 before them what really matters. And and not allow the agenda to be determined or driven the way it's determined and driven now. So uh, build build back better. Yeah, sure, because the Democrats need a victory. They need a victory in twenty twenty one, and they're not going to get it. Clearly, um, and I think for me, I was, you know, uh, I'm, and I'm still pushing for it. And this is the millennial piece, and this is why I want to, you know, I mean, I feel like I need you to provide me some wisdom on this. I I don't see a urgency, a fierce urgency in my mind for me to vote in midterms. Now, now I understand the reality of it, right? The reality of it is we don't vote. We get, you know, we get, we get laid with, but, but I don't feel like folks worked for my vote. I don't feel like they worked hard enough because I'm, I'm just thinking about the folks and you know, you and I both got folks in Georgia you and I both got folks in Texas and North Carolina, but North Carolina ain't the issue this time around. Florida, right? Um, your dad was down yeah. there, correct? I think he oh, was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So we got folks in these places where they gerrymandered the district so much so and, and done it so well that literally they will cut out our voices. And I feel like, you know, if the Democrats don't see that as a pressing issue, what reason do I have to go to the polls? All right, well, think of it this way, because it, it, because from from uh, our perspective as black folk, and I say black folk because I know that while the uh, nomenclature du jour may be African-American, when I grew up, it was colored to Negro, to Afro-American, to black, and I just uh, pulled the cord on the freedom bus at black and got <laughs> off there, and that's where I am. And so as, as black folk in America, it's more than a little disingenuous for us to uh, decry inequality in voters' rights hmm. and then not exercise the right to vote. I, I know you're right. I guess I'm trying to say 
but there are millennials. I mean, I, mean I, I feel I feel your sense of frustration and the futility that comes from millennials. And so what I would caution millennials is uh, I would caution millennials to, to, to look on look on us, look on the boomer generation and say, unless something changes, that's going to be us. That is what the that's what millennials need to be concerned about, because nothing in this country is changing. I mean, I'm a I'm a boomer. I came behind the the so-called great greatest generation ever in America. And that was that that's my father's generation. His father came through a Jim Crow riddle depression generation. And looking up and down the line, very little has changed. Even the rhetoric is coming back. The tactics are coming back. It feels the same. The Klan, the Klan has now been reinforced. They've received reinforcements from uh, the Proud Boys, the Promise Keepers, and, and a whole bunch of other right-wing whack jobs who believe that this country needs a civil war. Uh, CNN even reported as recently as 48 hours ago on retired United States generals. One yeah, of them I saw, yeah. a major general, who was looking at the strong possibility of a civil war as soon as 2024. Yeah, he was talking about the Marine, not the Marines, but the uh, military following yes. behind. And I, I just, I can't get over him saying... Well, you know they they pipe Fox News into um, our our um, uh, military installations, and I'm just you know. And here's the thing: I am not a Democrat because that's that's because of my skin color. I'm a progressive because I go I vote with uh, a party that seems to support my existence. And I think I struggle. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, y'all. He's trying to fight, uh, laughing at me. Um, no, but, no, no, no. Um, but but I feel like I want to vote for a group of people who see me as human, um, and you know, ultimately see me as equal, right? Um, but I want to be honest with you. I think with these midterms, there's a piece of me. You know, it's kind of like you know, why vote if you all ain't going hard in the paint for us? And we put you in power. Now, don't get me wrong. I know it was a thin majority. That's not our fault. That's their message. And that's their issue, right? As well as where our country was at that point in time. The question is now, so more pragmatically, what are the things that we do? Rather than simply just saying, preaching and proclaiming from the pulpit the truth, which, you know, I, I plan to do as long as I've, if I'm given that opportunity to preach, right? What are some other things that we can do, Phil? to um, better position ourselves before the midterms, as well as to see what we can do with the agenda. Well, we need to preach, first of all, the severity of the problem of holding our position. So folks don't know. Because folks don't know. Folks folks don't know. If things are as bad as they are now, if it is as difficult as it is now for Democrats to move legislation forward, that will be beneficial to the entire country, and we control all three branches of the government. Two. We own. We we own. We own the House, the Senate, and the. Well, that's one. That's one. That's one branch. So that's one branch. We don't got the uh, judiciary. That's what I was trying to get to. Oh no! <laughs> and, and, and that's because the judiciary 
as as a, as as alleged oversight authority it's not really a branch of the government in my opinion it's a, you have you have the it, it, it sounds ironic like the AME church where the church should work you've got the judicial council you've got the general board which is the legislative body of the bishop's council which is the executive branch and i'll leave them alone i'll leave the AMEs alone for the moment Thank and you. move back yeah. to the secular realm <laughs> and what we are so we control the executive office we control both houses of congress and we cannot move any legislation forward well imagine what that's going to look like if the republicans retake the house if the republicans retake the senate you're going to get you're going to get mitch mcconnell back in the senate and i shudder to think about what you're going to get as the speaker of the house Good One like jim, jim jordan who is as crooked as a barrel full of snakes Man, and that's my home state. He's from my home state. I mean, I, I mean, I will say to you, I've been, I, I, I shudder to think what it would look like to have him um, with the gavel, right? Um, and I want to be clear about that. I think that is what's going to propel for many of us to go out and vote. It, is, is, that, is that is that fear of what that would? And I want to be honest with you. I think we needed this back in twenty. 15 going into 2016 and i'm gonna say and i'm gonna say why um i want to make sure i got my years right yeah i think it was 2015 going 2016 that, that particular election because the the court the court has changed not just now but for the generation there will be no change to this court no and you can't you can't fix that you know now i'm gonna say to you what i think is gonna happen i'm not prophesying but i am reading the tea leaves I suspect that the court is either going to strike down Roe v. Wade yeah. um, or they're going to severely limit it. And maybe that energy will propel uh, this midterm election to look differently. That, now, now, remember I said that. That's Today is the 21st of December. Well, they, they, well the court has clearly given, in, given signs that they can gerrymander Roe v. Wade. And, what, <laughs> and, and, and the way that happens is by treating it and the, the entire Roe v. Wade issue, the abortion issue, as a matter of states' rights. That is how the, the, the judiciary uh, absolves itself. itself and the United States government from matters like abortion, from matters like civil rights, from matters like voting rights. But when they pushed it back, I mean, so you're 100% right in all of this. I just want to kind of just throw out here something that I thought was really interesting. So with this with this current law, if I'm not wrong, that is uh, in Texas, the way it has it set up is individuals. In other words, so it kind of insulates the state. It says individuals can take actions against people who are uh, doing doing abortions or who are performing them. Right. I, I really appreciated how Governor Gavin Newsom said, OK, if you're going to do that. With abortion, we'll do it with guns. Yes. And so there's a piece of me that says, let's take that legal precedent and do something with it. But I, I'm, again, I think I'm saying to you, reading the tea leaves, I believe it will be the energy of women following Roe v. Wade um, coming down. And I mean, it's going to come down. I guess it's gonna, uh, they have to release everything before. I think they go on recess, I think in August or something like that. So I think it'll be I think that part will be interesting to see how that 
how we lay with that. Okay, all right. We we've hit that. We talked about Joe Manchin, and you've kind of talked about how he, you know, he he's what he is. Who was that? I can't remember that coach who was like, they are, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> um, he's who we thought he is, and we we understand exactly, exactly. There's nothing surprising about Joe Manchin. So as a millennial preacher, um, in this day and age, let's talk about. Um, the evangelical movement and what's happening in our country as it relates to Christology and Christ I shouldn't say Christology, that would be bad. Christi Christianity in America. Um and I see you, you you're on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, I, I don't I don't even know what I is. asked you too fast. R E V P R C. That's think. what I thought. And so it's Rev P R C um mm -hmm. on Twitter. Y'all gotta follow him. He really is spending a lot of time like I mean, he's probably could be one of the most shadiest people possible. I'm telling y'all, uh, Phil is hilarious. <laughs> and he hits you, you'd be like, wow, for real? Um, but I will ask you this question. How do we respond to our evangelical brethren and sisters, right? Um, when what we oftentimes have heard, what we heard them talking about during the entirety of uh, Trump's presidency, right? Which was this... Almost, um, what's the word I want to look for? Um, fealty. Yes. To Great a, word. To an amoral Great, executive. Word. Executive, to right? A, to an amoral, megalomaniacal idiot. Okay. <laughs> Those were Phil's words, everybody, not Robert. Uh, that, that's uh, somebody who ain't got no, uh, uh, no, no, need, no, no need for a filter when it comes to I have no filters. I have no filters. And they gave him a, what was it called? A mulligan. Yes. Right? I, I suspect he got a series of those. Maybe he got that on the pack. He got a pack of mulligans, right? I don't see that now. We have a Catholic in office. Uh, a, 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 what's the word? Um, an observant. Um, he he goes. I don't see that same connection. It's practicing Catholic. Practicing. Thank you. Thank you. So help me understand how we how we engage in honest dialogue. With with emphasis on that word, honest. You can't. Really? You can't be honest with dishonest people and expect some kind of reciprocity. Phil, come on, give me some hope now. Give me some hope. You can't. You can't. They call themselves evangelical. What what does it mean to be evangelical? I know you can go, I, go ahead and break it down, Phil. Give it to us in a Greek. Completely, they have completely destroyed what that means. Give it to us in the Greek. <laughs> Y'all, he loves this. First of all, it, 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 at, it, at its root, it's good news. Right. And when you proclaim the good news, you proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, look at how their word lines up with what it's supposed to be. And what you find is people who have muddled theology by the introduction of their own ideology and they have allowed that to supersede the other and so they have these ideological concerns that they look to try and shore up uh, in any mammy-made kind of way they can by finding any scriptures applicable and and so when you look at what they did in, in, in giving 
that mulligan? Number 45, a pass, a mulligan, a do-over, or whatever. It, it, it's outrageous. It's insane. I was cracking up. I was cracking up again. From from after he was um after he was elected, right? But before he was uh, uh before the inauguration, when all the preachers went up to Trump Tower and they took the picture of the guy and they praying over him, right? You would think if he was even a good actor, a, a good a good, you know, a good politician, he would have had his eyes closed. They had their hands on him praying, you know, they was up, you know, they speaking in tongues, filling the spirit. Paula White, all of them, you know. He got his eyes on to read Cohen's book and what Cohen, what Michael Cohen had to say about that. I have not read that text. He said he said in his book that, that Trump laughed at them and ridiculed them when they left. Soon as soon as they left his office. And that might be the first thing, first time I agree with Trump. Well, look, it, look, it takes one to know one. It takes a clown to recognize when a circus is in town. <laughs> I said that's the first time. Second time, first time I am. Um, Clearly that happened, but, you know, I did hear that, I think, uh, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, he was in a space and he acknowledged that he had gotten um, a booster shot. Booster, yeah. And, and they booting. Right. Um, that just, that, that, that's, that's easily understood. You know, Dr. Frankenstein can't control the monster. Man, man. Okay. And that, 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 that's it. His following is his monster. He is Dr. Frankenstein and he I, can't control the monster. I think that's giving him a whole lot of agency, to be on, to be frank with it you. Is. That's a whole nother. Okay, so let me um, let's let's do a little change in the conversation. So we are both a part of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, we just uh, I shouldn't say we just, but in this past summer we had our general conference. Um, we um, elected some new bishops, as we do um, every time around. Uh, what do you forecast as being the outlook? going forward this year um i'm not i'm let me let me make the, put some more specificity on that because i know if i leave that open for you we gonna have a problem so yeah as it relates to the pandemic and how it will influence um the way we do church right um and um yeah i'm gonna start there i'm gonna start there i, I gotta be really careful all right, that's fine. That's a good place to start. The, the, the way we do church has forever been impacted, and it will never be the same. And what what we have to do, if we're going to remain, if we're going to retain any semblance of being a cohesive uh, organization or connectional organization, is understand that we cannot have twenty different perspectives. There cannot be twenty different ways to do the right thing. So when you say twenty, you're talking about our Episcopal districts. Our Episcopal districts, right? Mm -hmm. Right. What we, what we need is some is is some consistency, some uniformity, and 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 people all singing from the same sheet music with regard to what our COVID response is going to be. See, for one thing, uh, I I know we had no COVID response when the Absolute Health Commission of the African Methodist Episcopal Church Incorporated uh, said in a in, stated in a letter that they would not be in attendance at the last session of the general conference. Now, when you're on health commission, <laughs> when your own health commission deems it uh, ill-advisable to go into some kind of a general plenary meeting, and you go anyhow. Good point. Good point. I mean, but but we are. I mean, so I will say two things. You know, one thing to the credit, and maybe this just is 
limited to my knowledge. I did not hear of any outbreak. I did not hear of anything negative coming out of general. I probably won't hear, but uh, but with that said, let's just go with my hearing being the fact, right? We're beginning to, I know you have, you're doing hybrid, right? Uh, worship um, at down at St. Andrews. I'm doing yeah. the same thing in Chico. Is that going to be the norm going forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, that's the, so, church, so this is the new tape ministry? I think that any church moving forward in, in, in this century that is going to be successful is going to be a church that has as strong an emphasis on maintaining a virtual presence as on reestablishing in presence, worship presence. You know, I'll I, I do a shout out to my favorite uh, church sociologist, Tom Rayner. I follow his his I follow his blog, uh, pardon the pun, religiously. Yeah, and and he has lifted several uh, phenomena that have just completely captured my attention, and one of them being um, the the thirty forty thirty church, which is the model that we're moving to, and he's saying that. Post-pandemic, 30% of your people are not coming back. Mm. They simply will not come back. Into the because building or, or in back to the... They're not going to come back. They're not going to come back. Mm. They're not going to come back to in-presence worship. 30% will not. 40% will be hit or miss. The 40% will be your one in four crowd. Mm. They may be there one Sunday out of a month. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be that 30%, which will be your core group. And so church is moving forward have to base their ministry on an established core that at best might reach 50% of support. What they have. Yeah. And that's across all denominational lines and including the color line. Right now, you know as well as I do, the old adage is, if white folk get a cold, black folk got pneumonia. Facts. Well, if, if so if they're looking at 30% not coming back, what are we looking at not coming back? 10? Juxtapose, juxtapose, uh, Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, like 40 or 50, that's what you meant. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, juxtapose that against against what Tom Rainer is saying. And our churches, our rural churches are, are going to be completely lost. It's I mean, It's been a challenge, I will say to you, it's been a challenge, you know, because I consider Bethel Chico to be a rural church um, of sorts, right? We're in a city, but we're really out of the way. Um, we're not, in the, you know, the, uh, the ma a major city like you. But I will say to you, I think part of it for us is that we have probably, because I pay attention to the science, right? And so I'm looking at the numbers um, and the infection rates and what's happening in the county so I can pay attention to who we're having inside the service and how we're doing that. I think we're going to, I think we're going to fare okay. I mean, I'm just, I'm saying that, of course, I guess that's my job, right? It's also to be hopeful, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but, but I think your point is still well taken. Because if we look at the populace of the church, right? Um, you know, we had churches, not maybe, you know, not in our uh, denomination, but in the Kojic church, where you had a whole swath of their leadership pass away from COVID or COVID-related illnesses. And we, our churches are aging, right? And so we are literally dealing with the most vulnerable uh, populations, but it does still feel like it. So this still takes me back to um, that Tavis Smiley State of the Black Church piece where there were two amazing AME scholars on that, uh, excuse me, 
I shouldn't say two, but two amazing uh, AME scholars. In addition, Bishop Vashti McKenzie uh, was on there as well. But it was James Cone who talked about the church being so, thinking so much about itself, how to save itself, that it's not being an effective witness in the world. He was talking about the black church. Yes. He said we were taking on the scent and the odor of populism, right? Um, and I think, I mean, I know you you know him, you knew him and his brother. Um, there was also Cecil, a, his brother Cecil. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. And you also um, there was a particular scholar um, who you knew back in North Carolina who predicted something to you. Um, who was that? Dr. Sierra Lincoln. Who's famous for that? Dr. Lincoln predicted the demise of the African Methodist Episcopal Church before the year 2050. Wow. And so he, 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 I, I, you know, I don't want to agree with him because I'm a part of this and I'm connected to and I'm in, and I really believe in the mission of our church. So how do we make him wrong? Well, we make him wrong by not agreeing with him, as you said, <laughs> but also by not dismissing what he says out of hand. Thank you. Okay, so and what and what was that? It's one thing. It's one thing to disagree. It is another to dismiss out of hand. Facts. So I can disagree with you, and my perspective is going to require that I look for reasons why. Right. If I, as opposed to dismissing what you say out of hand, when I'm I am refusing to even uh, give credence to your ideas. Right. And that is a dangerous perspective. But he was pretty clear about why he believed that we would be dead, though, right? Yes. And, and it is because, as you were saying, that uh, we, we've taken on an insular perspective. Okay? Um, you know, most, most of what we do in church now has an inward focus. Okay. I, uh, I have a book that I'm working on, mm -hmm. one, of, one of two. And, and in that book, I, I speak of the insular church as doing a variation on the old American Express theme, which said membership has its privileges. <laughs> in the insular church, we might change that to membership has its mysteries. Wow. And I mean, we speak in a kind of, we speak in, in some kind of code on a Sunday morning and people shout and and wave hands and throw an amount of gang signs and when you when you join the church it's actually like pledging a fraternity or sorority and you cross the burning sands that's what's known as the new members class wow. you know and and it's all very insular and you know, i, I was uh phil i think i'm getting uh, some feedback over there it's probably a little loud there but um maybe it's the volume um, this, not me. Go ahead. Okay, so I'll say this to you. I think uh, one of the things that I wrestle with on a Sunday morning, and what I've, and I'm grateful to God that you know I have an amazing presiding elder. I've kind of talked to him and confided in him about some things that I wanted to do to make you know Bethel work for the populace that we have here, and he really helped me kind of go through that. So on Sunday mornings, I come out the pulpit. I'm trying my best to be connection you know, to, to, to focus on connection with the people, right? 
everybody's not going to fully understand a lot of our order of worship, right? It's standardized, but they're not going to fully understand that. And part of what I try to do is to teach and explain why we say what we say, right? And then in the spaces where when what we say don't make sense, I figured out ways to kind of, I probably shouldn't be saying this. I'm probably going to get in trouble. Um, unpack is a nice word. Good, good you, you, you unpack what we mean in some of our uh, lit, litany and liturgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, that, and that's necessary. And, and you can also uh, serve the congregation well by uh, reminding uh, newcomers that we are a call and response people of faith. <laughs> It is not all a one-way street. That, you know, that, that's the biggest piece. Call and response. That's the biggest issue, I will say to you. Uh, my congregation right now is probably, um, quite frankly, 60-40, where it's more white than it is black now. Um, and That's a good thing. Uh, uh, oh, listen, I'm, I enjoy it because I have some amazing folks. No, you, are, you are in the vein of the original Emmanuel in Charleston, South Carolina. Really? Yes, which was built with the help of white people and on a Sunday morning populated on a 60-40 basis by white people. Well, my def- my church is definitely in that vein, and I'll say this to you. Um, and, and, and folks aren't just coming to spectate. They literally are invested in the ministry there. But what I'll say, one of the things that I think I've had to struggle with is that folks will sit in and they wait for you to entertain them. You know, they want you to sing and they want to feel the spirit, but they don't talk back to you. So I've been on a regular basis, even this past Sunday. I was like, wait a minute, y'all. I'm not, I'm not here. It's not performative. Please, let, me, let me tell you what, what, the, what the, 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 the task is of a black preacher on a Sunday morning. You've got to find that happy medium between mausoleum and coliseum, <laughs> where you create where you create community. Say that again. You have to find the happy medium between mausoleum and coliseum, Man. which is the creation of worshiping community. Community. Uh, 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 a cemetery is where dead things are buried. A mausoleum is like a museum. It's where you take what's dead, make it look like it's alive. Okay. And then, of course, the Coliseum is where you get that you just going to be entertained. You know, so you, there's a fine line in there, and and unfortunately, you can see all around you where where uh, preachers and congregations succumb to going too far one or the other. You got to have a kind of a Goldilocks mentality. Wow. Uh, you know, not mausoleum, not Coliseum. Where's community? Somewhere in between. I like that. And 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 that 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 means. Uh, involving and engaging that congregation, and and let and letting them know, you know, and it's just and it, it's it's endemic in our culture. You you go to to worship to push the preacher. Mm. That's what I'm used to, you know. And I, I got now. I'm be honest with you. My biggest, I got so I got right now. I got the two loudest uh, members in my church. One is a young kid. His name is Hanky. Uh, his his uh, real name is Henry, but Really cool kid, white kid sits on my uh, second row, and I say, I say, Amen. He said, Amen. You know, I'm like, I mean, he, I mean, he's there. Then my friend Nora, right, who's been with our church probably almost as long as I've been there, um, she she knows where to insert an Amen. Um, but I think it's trying to understand that that's that's connected to. 
who we are. That's our identity, right? It is. It's it our is. identity. And you know, and I thought I would never get to the point. You know, matter of fact, even in seminary, you he, he went to Duke, I went to Emory, um, two Southern um uh Methodist institutions. Uh, <clears throat> you are or y'all y'all are Methodists, y'all part of the Oh yeah, you're in Methodist. And Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt, right? That's the three, right? Emory. And Vanderbilt, yeah. And so, you know, we were. Ta- I don't know. I know, and I can speak for you here. We were taught you don't preach, you know, and you know, and expect an amen or wait for an amen. And I don't. But it does feel good to get it. It it does feel good to know that when you're preaching, um, that it's not. I'm not giving a lecture. It's an interactive, right? Um, and at times it does feel, I mean, it can be hard look, to get a little fire started up in there, man. Look, for me, preaching is like fishing. Mm. I don't, I, you know, I may not go expecting every time to catch fish, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be looking for them. <laughs> okay. Give me that. That's, how I, feel, that's how I feel. That's I amen. Cause all amen, all amen means is it is true. So, you know, I agree. Right. Got you. Okay. If, if it's true, if it's true, somebody's going to respond. And if they don't, and then that's on them. Pure facts. And I know we're about to wrap up. Um, I didn't had you for a while, and I'm grateful for it. Um, you did talk about the fact that you are writing right now, right? And spending some time putting to uh, words uh, your experiences over the years and what you've seen, right? Yes. Um, I think here's my question to you, and I want you to pull this from what you've already written so it's not fresh. It doesn't need to be fresh. Um, what are your words to this emerging church? This this church is looking different, right? You talked about Tom Rainier's uh, thing, this 30, 60, excuse me, this 40, wait a minute, was it 20? 30, 30, 30, 40, 30. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for taking the numbers out of my head, right? That's going to be different. This church that will look different, right? And you even talked about how that will have a disparate impact on us as a black church that's, that'll look different than mainline um, uh, uh, churches. So what what is your word to us going forward? And I'm, I mean, I want to be honest with you. You think I can get you back? Oh, sure. Okay, but I want to ask you now to tell us what, what, what are some things we need to be paying attention to going forward if we expect to uh, make C. Eric Lincoln wrong. Uh, especially as impacted by the pandemic. Yeah. We have to find new ways of telling the old story. Mm. That's been the church's challenge in every generation. More so now in this one than ever before. Got to find and maintain the new ways of telling the old story. Technology is going to play a much more critical role moving forward than it ever has before, and 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 so that that would be that would be my ad, my admonition to all of the young preachers today. You have got to put around you uh, people who are comfortable, not just know, but who are comfortable with technology, because. Uh, one of the greatest gifts that you can acquire as a pastor is learning how to recognize your limitations. Mm. Okay. And uh, that, that, that's not scriptural as much as that is Clint Eastwood in the Dirty Harry movie series. A man's got to know his limitations. You know, you've got to know your limitations mm. and you can't do it all. 
Mm-hmm. And so find, you know, the good, good delegation and good administration is finding people who can and allowing them to. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, that's going to be critical. And then look at what the pandemic and just accept what the pandemic has done mm-hmm. to our perception of time. Because the pandemic has proven with regard to worship, nothing need ever again take as long as it used to take. Okay? Time has forever and irrevocably been impacted in that way. I think you make a huge point there. Um, I think I think it is um, interesting because in, in my church, you have he has an amazing singing um, aggregation in his church. In addition to his choirs, um, he, got, he got a couple of them. Um, he has a group. I can't think of their name right now at this moment. Victory. Victory. Uh, it's like mm-hmm. four voices or th- three or four voices. Four voices. Amazing. And so they can totally set up shop at St. Andrews and make it work. But I think right now I've, the biggest issue I've had is bringing back my choir and wanting to do it in a safe way. Right. And and, and I didn't realize how much time them songs took up. Yes. And, and, and so what we need to do is... First of all, I, I, I'm not an advocate. My choirs aren't back yet. I'm not an advocate of returning to, to singing. When when I've spoken with members of my church who are in the medical community who say that, uh, that, that more contagion, more contagion is passed by singing than even by coughing. You wouldn't allow somebody to come and cough all over you. Don't allow them to sing all over you either. So that's that's out until further notice. Right. But what you can do is the pre-recorded piece and bring it in, uh, almost uh, turning your hybrid worship into hybrid in-presence by having some Zoom pieces in the in-presence worship. That, that actually makes a lot of sense. And 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 what I but what I have done. Because I know now that of when I look at that 30, 40, 30 equation of that 30 percent that I have lost, these are people who have learned that they can stay at home in their pajamas with a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning and maybe hit two or three worship services Services in the same span of time. It would take them to get up, get dressed and get over to wherever they were going to church. So what I do for them, I give them what I call uh, uh. uh, almost espresso worship, you know. Worship. I give them. I give them worship light. All the content, half the calories. Worship you know, light. Worship light. All the content, half the calories. And so, uh, my Sunday morning will look like a, a, an abbreviated call to worship. One selection from musicians, prayer, scripture. One or two selections from musicians, preach. Over the doors of the church, we are out. Mm. And so I am out of there. My service rarely lasts longer than 45 minutes now. See, I got you here. And I'm kind of doing it, most of it, if not all of it, myself, with with, with my musicians. Um, I'm still, I'm at an hour. And my thoughts are, if you can do 45, I can do 45. So I'm trying to look, I'm trying to get to, I'm trying to get to 30. (laughs) I don't see 30 happening. And I'm I'm seeing right now, I can imagine some of my friends right now who are hearing this and they like, Robert, uh-uh, don't be pushing that. Well, they have to understand the reason I can look for 30 is because I've seen an annual conference go from five days to eight hours. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you've seen that progression. So you like, if that can happen. 
Exactly. I mean, it, it, anything is possible. I'm telling you that the time as a as a concept and our understanding of it has been irrevocably altered. You know that that that. Let me say it the way I would say it if I were writing it colloquially. That paste ain't going back in that tube. <laughs> Okay, so here's my thoughts. And, and, and you know, I think anybody, anybody out there now who thinks they can still maintain a two-hour worship experience when other folk are getting by, like you said, on an hour, they're going to look up one day and realize a whole lot of their congregation will have concluded that juice ain't worth the squeeze. But see, here, here's where that, you know, the term, and again, I, I call myself theological misfit because I do ask these questions. I think a lot of people, a lot of preachers would say, Oh, well, folks are not, you cannot do exegetical justice in a 20 minute sermon. You got to be, hold up, hold up, hold up. You got to be skirting on something. I mean, if, if you are, if you are cutting your service down like that, then you ain't feeding your people full meals. Make me yawn. <laughs> if you can't, if, if I, I follow a man whose most profound sermon took maybe two minutes. Wow. And I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth to Nicodemus at night. Wow. Maybe two minutes. And that's a profound sermon. You know, much much of what I hear that is passing for sermons, I liken to lemon meringue pie. You know, you you know, you look at a lemon meringue pie and what you got is a whole lot of meringue on top of a little bit of lemon. And, and many of the time, I've gone into one of those pies and realized it ain't worth the journey of the spoon. And that's the way it is with a lot of sermons. Say what you got to say and sit down. If the attention span of a two-year-old is two minutes, guess what? The average attention span of a 30-year-old is 20. Quite frankly. And so, and so anything that takes you longer than that better be well worth hearing. That's what I want us to So you know what? I'm gonna, can I invite you back next week? Um, so we can kind of spend time with that preaching piece. I would love to. I think you know. I, would, I, I, I was would, trying to figure would, out. <laughs> I would love to spend time with a preaching piece. I think. I think that's where I think you. I mean, I know you helped me out amazingly, um, in understanding that structure piece. And but I think that the people will benefit as well of hearing from that wisdom. And I was going to invite you back. Uh, early in the year, but we, let me get you back next week and let's try to let's spend some time with this. Um, I appreciate everybody uh, who's come on. You all got to hear a little piece of uh, Pastor Cousin that I get to experience all the time. Um, but I, I think there's more there that will be helpful for all of us to hear and to gain from him. Phil, you got anything final you want to say? Only that I want to thank you, Robert, for this opportunity. And I, I appreciate uh, getting the opportunity to do what I have done with varying degrees of success, all of my adult life, and that's run my mouth. So, uh, <laughs> you know, in that, in that regard, this has been an absolute blast, and I've enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate yeah. you for coming on, and I'm looking forward to next week. We'll just pick up on the preaching piece and what, I think, you know, if we take some other textures, we'll see how it goes. You know, we kind of go organically. But I think if we can kind of talk about that and what that looks like going forward, right? And I, yeah. but, I, but I think what I would really like for you to talk about is the, the hashtag preaching fails that you've experienced. Because I know in your long career um, and all these annual conferences, district conferences, 
Um, for me, it was all of the meetings that we would have, um, you know, initially when I, when I was in a Baptist church. And I got stories that I would like to share with people, too. I think it'd be pretty interesting and funny. Um, but I'm, and we might end up adding somebody uh, to our conversation next week. We'll see. see how and that's why that, that's why I write something. Let me, let me admonish your listening audience. Might be some preachers out there. Write. Write. Write down your sermons. Write down your thoughts. Write down your stories. When you are gone, your stories are all that will be left. And you will reach the place, as I have, fortunately and unfortunately, when I'm running out of witnesses to corroborate my stories. So you need to write those stories down before memory will do as it does to all. And that is begin to fail. They say that they, they say that as you grow old or older, there are two things that leave you. The first is memory. And I forget what the second one is. <laughs> okay. That's a good way for us to end. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Y'all see why I brought him. Um, take care, big brother. And um, looking forward to our next conversation, man. Oh, I'm right, Robert. This time next week, man. All right. Good enough. Take care, big All brother. Right. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.